We're continuing in our preparations for the coming of the Lord in this Advent season. Advent means preparation, preparing our hearts, preparing our minds for the coming of the Lord. This is something that we do along with the church throughout history and around the world. We prepare for the coming of the Lord. And we started this last week in really this, this, uh, this custom, this tradition. All families have traditions. This is one of the traditions in the Imago family that every single week we actually um, pray and we have a different candle that we, uh, that we light. And these are all called the Advent candles. And it all started uh, last week when um, we are, this is now the third week in Advent. The first candle is actually the candle of hope. And that actually is also called sometimes the, the prophecy candle. And in remembrance of all those who came before, really um, believing and trusting that God would come and be our savior in Jesus. And especially this highlights the prophet Isaiah, who we've been studying and have been meditating on throughout uh, on on the book of Isaiah throughout the month of December. And really, we remember um, those who believed even before the coming of Jesus, those who foretold of the birth of Jesus Christ. So it represents really the expectation of the coming Messiah. Then the second candle that we lit last week is um, sometimes called the candle of faith or the Bethlehem candle. And it actually represents and reminds us of the faith that Joseph and Mary, who we'll be talking about later on today during our message, it reminds us of the hope and the faith that they had in uh, trusting God and on their journey to Bethlehem so that the Savior would be born. And this week, we're actually going to be lighting the third candle, which uh, is, is the candle that we call the shepherd's candle, and it represents joy. So this is the candle of joy. And we're reminded that joy is not based on circumstances or situations. We all know that right now in this time, there's a lot of challenges everywhere. But still, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we're going to take a moment to just um, pause and pray as we light this candle and reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ is in fact the birth of everlasting joy, a strength that we can tap into no matter what circumstances may be happening around us. So let's take a moment to pause and pray as we reflect on the joy that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And thank you, Lord, in the hecticness of life, we're able to simply pause and remember that there is hope, that, that you call us into deeper faith, and that you call us into deep, deeper joy, God. 
Yes, in this world there are many trials, there are many sorrows, there are many obstacles, but still we have joy. Nothing can steal our joy, God. That's something that the enemy will try to take and steal. But Lord, today with this candle, with this light of joy, God, we remember that we have access to tap in to that joy in all seasons. Give us that joy in this Christmas season, we pray. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. There we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary, saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David, who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiancé, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks. And an angel appears, which, of course, freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate. Because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby. And they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place. And their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. We're finding everlasting joy and Christmas hope in God's promises and in all seasons. We're seeing Christmas hope appear and show up in the least likely ways and just like it did in the original Christmas through the birth of a child. We're holding on to this everlasting hope through God's promises, through God's presence, and through God's power. 
Last week, we started this new series that we're calling Christmas Hope in God's Promises as we've been reflecting on the book of Isaiah throughout this Advent season. And today we're going to have two scripture readings. We're going to continue now in our time of worship by opening up the word of God. And we have two scripture readings. And then after we reflect on the scriptures, we're going to prepare for communion together. So you can go ahead and prepare the elements right at home. We can, you can prepare some bread. You can prepare some juice or, or a, a cup of and even water. That can work as well. And just with your family, be in prayer already as we transition after the message into this time of communion, common union together. We're going to take part in a sacrament. A sacrament is an eternal sign of God's promises and of God's faithfulness to us. That's ultimately what Christmas reminds us of. And we're holding on to that hope. So as I mentioned today, we're going to have two scripture readings. The first is going to be from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 6 to 7. And then the second reading will be from Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. You can follow along with your Bibles or you can hear God's word read aloud. First, Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 6 to 7. Let's hear now with open ears and open hearts from the word of God. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government or his kingdom will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. The second reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for this special time or we get to reflect 
meditate and open up our hearts to your coming. Lord, you came into this world in order to save us, in order to bring us back to yourself, to restore our relationship with you and our relationship with each other. Through your humble presence, O God, even in the form of a baby, you began the eternal work of salvation for all of creation. Today, Lord, would you amaze us? Would you astonish us by that truth, by this account, this story, this good news story where you do extraordinary miracles through ordinary people? It's in the faithful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our hope, that we pray. Amen. Through this season of Advent, in preparation of the coming of the Lord in Christmas, in the month of December, we've been reflecting on the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, we see really a lot of the origins of the promises of God. And then in the New Testament, in the Gospels, especially in the accounts that talk about the birth of Jesus, we see the fulfillment of the prophecies, of the promises of God that were spoken through Isaiah in the Old Testament. Then we see their fulfillment in the New Testament. That's what we see here in both of these passages in Isaiah and in Luke. We see the origin of God's promise in Isaiah and the fulfillment in the gospel of Luke. The fulfillment of Emmanuel, of God with us, of a son being born to save the world, a son of God. Or to put it in modern language, really, um, this gift of Emmanuel, like we talked about last week, God shows up. God comes down to uh, the human messiness, to the human story, to what we experience, the valleys, the, the highs, the lows, the mountaintops, the times of encouragement, the times of discouragement, the times of fear, the times of faith. Christmas means that God shows up and enters into all of that into all of that messiness, into all of that reality. In Scripture, we see the story of how God entered the world through this account, through this Christmas story. Christmas is how we witness and recognize that God is with us. Jesus Christ is God with us. The true God in whose image we are created came down to us in the form of a human being. God became human in Jesus Christ. That's what we recognize in the Christmas account. We recognize this event of incarnation that God became human in Jesus, that God showed up and that God took initiative to save us and to restore us back to himself to complete a mission. In Easter, we reflect on the beginning of that mission in this divine invasion, in where God shows up into the human story. Easter, which we'll celebrate in the spring, is where we see the fulfillment of that mission on the cross and through the resurrection and the beginning of a new creation in Christ. We see here in this passage that the greatest story ever told, what's been called this, the greatest story ever told of the birth of Jesus, it began in a very simple way. It began with an announcement that the angel Gabriel delivers to Mary in a place called Nazareth. 
Nazareth was a small agricultural settlement, an ag area, very much maybe like what this Central Valley area used to be primarily when I hear people talk about stories of generations past of what the Central Valley used to be like, an agricultural settlement. Nazareth was the same. It wasn't that popular. It was located on a road that was leading to a place called Samaria, so people would pass through. Joseph and Mary were, the, the scripture tells us, they were betrothed, which means that they were seriously engaged. But then what do we see here in this passage? We see that there are ordinary pieces all over, but God does something extraordinary with those ordinary pieces, with those ordinary circumstances and situations. God does something new. In verses 26 and 27, we see that God has a plan, a plan in place where he was using everything, the past and the present, to bring together something greater, something greater than what anyone could have thought of or even imagined. God uses an ordinary couple, an ordinary family, Joseph and Mary. He uses both of them to bring about something extraordinary. Mary and Joseph, in this passage, they actually exemplify what true discipleship means. Mary and Joseph remind us that there's a difference between truth as knowledge and living truth. Both Joseph and Mary abided in living truth. They didn't have all the answers, but they trusted God without fully understanding. They believed. They held on to God's promises, even where, when, where everything seemed uncertain around them. God brought the Savior of the world through an ordinary family through an ordinary woman, Mary, through an ordinary man, Joseph, that would raise him, that would raise Jesus as his, as his own, even though he was born to a virgin. God does something extraordinary through ordinary people. I love this passage here in verse 30 and 31, chapter 1, verse 30 and 31 of Luke. It says this, in exchange between Mary and the angel Gabriel. It says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. I love this phrase in this conversation between the angel Gabriel and Mary. This phrase that we see over and over in scripture, this phrase that says, do not be afraid. In fact, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but the most common commandment in all of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament is this phrase, do not be afraid. The angel Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. I love thinking about this passage and I, again, compare it to God's promises throughout the scriptures. I think of the call of Abraham, who many call the father of faith. If Abraham is the father of faith, then certainly Mary is the mother of faith. 
we can compare this passage in Luke 1 to Genesis 12 to the original call of Abraham to do something new, to be, a, to be blessed in order to be a blessing to all generations. And this was the same thing that the, that, that the Lord told Abraham in Genesis 12, do not be afraid. The angel of the Lord tells Mary in Luke 1, do not be afraid. The most common command in all of scripture. And let's be clear about this. At this phrase, this call from God, this command from God, do not be afraid. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. Notice that God doesn't say, or the angel Gabriel doesn't say to Mary, uh, would you please consider maybe not being afraid for a few minutes? But no, God's bold command simply states, do not be afraid. Again, not a one-time command, but do not be afraid is the most commonly repeated command in all of Scripture. Probably because we're quick forgetters, God needs to keep reminding us of this over and over and over again. And hear it this morning, friend, brother, sister, do not be afraid. Because of Jesus, you have found favor with God. You can surrender. You don't have to carry this alone. Do not be afraid. The angel Gabriel not only says, do not be afraid to Mary, but also says, name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. So what exactly is happening here in this story? One of my favorite writers, Tom Wright, he's written a lot on the New Testament, and he gives a great commentary and explanation on what exactly is happening here in this birth story and what it really is all about. Um, this passage is telling us about a miracle. Something extraordinary happened through an ordinary family. Back then, in those biblical days, just like today, people knew where babies come from. So they were not simply naive people that fell for anything. But they were actually here in this gospel passage, in this birth narrative. They are reporting, the original gospel writers are reporting to us something extraordinary. They're telling us that Jesus, the Savior of the world, did not enter into the world in an ordinary way. But instead, Jesus, he didn't have a father in the ordinary way. And this was because Mary had been given special grace to be the mother of Jesus, to be the mother of God's incarnate self. The child to be, to be born will be the chosen one, will be the Messiah. The king of the house of David, the passage says, God had promised David a descendant who would reign forever and ever and not just reign over Israel as David did, but that this new son, this new child, this new king would reign over the whole world. As the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 7, and this coming king would be God's son. So here we see in this birth narrative, it's all coming together. The origin of God's promises, the fulfillment of God's promises. This is about that. The birth narrative is about that. The fulfillment of all of God's promises coming together. 
Jesus is the Son of the Most High, the Son of the one true God, the God of all nations, the one who will bring salvation for the world and who will bring unity to all things, restoration to all things, fully God and fully human in order to save us. This birth story is about that miracle. That's what Luke is talking about. That's what the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about generations before. That God would keep his word. That God would do something extraordinary through ordinary people. Mary and Joseph in this passage are really the supreme examples of what always happens when God is at work by grace through people like you and me. God's power makes the impossible possible. The impossible becomes possible through the power of God. And this is the Christmas miracle. God uses ordinary people for extraordinary purposes. When we place our faith and our trust and our surrender in Christ, the miracle continues. God will use ordinary people just like you, just like me, for extraordinary purposes. The Christmas miracle that we see in Mary is that she, Mary the Virgin, was giving birth to Jesus. That's the same gift of Emmanuel. That's the miracle of God with us. And what we see through that account of Mary the Virgin giving birth to Jesus, what we see there once again is God displaying his power, that the impossible is now possible. That because of this gift of God, because of Emmanuel, God with us, nothing is impossible. And in fact, all things are possible for those who believe. This Christmas season, friends, brothers, sisters, may we believe no matter what. Even if everything around us is trying to convince us to disbelieve or to lose faith or to lose hope or to lose trust, may we believe that God's word is true, that grace is sufficient, and that God continues to display his power through doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. Nothing is impossible. As a church family, we believe. I want us to pray that and to declare that today. We believe no matter what. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. And we believe in the Holy Spirit giving us new life and new hope each and every day. New grace, new strength, new faith to continue to move forward. An eternal sign that we have of eternal hope is here in what's right in front of me at the communion table. 
Today we're going to take time to celebrate the sacraments, the sacrament of communion. The sacraments are what the New Testament calls us to observe and celebrate. Communion and baptism. Today we'll be celebrating communion. Back in October, we had an opportunity to celebrate baptism, and we're going to be doing that again in the spring. So let's all be getting ready for that. Sacraments are eternal signs of God's eternal covenant of grace. Eternal covenant of grace and of salvation with us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This meal that is prepared is a meal that is prepared by Jesus for us. He's the head. Jesus Christ is the head of this table, the head of this church. And each one of us is invited to take part in this beautiful time of prayer, of reflection, of praise, and of communion, of common union with Jesus and with each other. So let's take this moment to simply prepare ourselves for communion. Communion is a time to center ourselves, to center our thinking, to refocus our thinking. And I'm going to be guiding us in the Lord's Supper. I'll be sharing both in English and in Spanish. For some congregants, Spanish is a heart language and they've been following along as well. And I'll be guiding our time together. But I want to invite us into this time of communion with Christ. Communion is again a sign of God's miracle of doing something extraordinary through ordinary means. Of restoring us back to himself and back to each other. So let's go ahead and quiet our hearts for a minute or so. And then I'll lead us in this time of communion. Let's come before the Lord in honesty and transparency, in confession. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is a feast of remembering, of communion, and of hope. 
Amados en el Señor Jesucristo, la Santa Cena que estamos por celebrar es una fiesta memorial de comunión y de esperanza. We come in remembering that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Recordamos que el Padre envió al mundo a nuestro Señor Jesucristo para que tomara de nuestra carne y sangre y para que cumpliera por nosotros obediencia a la ley divina hasta el extremo de una amarga y vergonzosa muerte en la cruz. We come to have communion with this same Christ, with the same Lord, who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world, in the breaking of the bread. He makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the divine vine, as the one true vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit at all. Nos acercamos para tener comunión con el propio Cristo quien nos ha permitido estar con nosotros por siempre hasta el fin del mundo. We come in hope believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come. When with unveiled face we will Behold him, made like unto him, into his glory, finally finding our true identity in the image of Christ and our true, our true identity in the image of God and our true purpose in the image of Christ. Let's go ahead and take some time to pray. Lord God, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us this morning that this bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain the unity of the faith and grow up into all things into Christ Jesus our Lord. And just as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes have been gathered from many fields into one cup. Grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, to his apostles, saying to them, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. El Señor Jesús, la misma noche que fue entregado, tomó el pan y dando gracias lo partió. 
y se lo dio a sus discípulos diciendo tomen coman este es mi cuerpo que por ustedes es partido hagan esto en memoria de mí after the same manner he took the cup and once they had supped it he said Lord said, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Después de la misma manera, también tomó la copa diciendo, esta copa es el nuevo pacto en mi sangre. Hagan esto cada vez que tomen en memoria de mí. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you and we give you praise for bringing us together. We pray this morning that this cup and this bread may represent your real presence with us here and now. May it represent Emmanuel, God with us. We pray and confess that we have, well, the things that we have done We pray and confess, Lord, the things that we've left undone, those thoughts and actions that you've called us to, Lord, but we simply haven't been aligned with your heart, God. So we pray, Lord, and we ask forgiveness today. We thank you, God, for the gift of your table, the gift of your hospitality. Thank you, Jesus, for always making a way. And Lord, again, thank you for this sign of something that seems so ordinary, but points to an eternal sign that is truly extraordinary of your covenant and your promise and your presence with us, God. Amen. The Apostle Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 28, says, Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So this time is for everyone. Confess Christ as Savior, been baptized into the family of God, this time is for you. And if you're still taking those first steps in your faith, this time is also for you. It's a time of rest, it's a time of reflection, it's a time of receiving. Even today, this morning, wherever you may be, wherever you're watching, you can trust, you can place your trust in Jesus. You can declare your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today. And even in this time that we're taking part in this meal, right where you are, if you have elements, you can take part in that, in the bread and in the cup. And even if you don't have access to that at home right now, you can simply have your hands open to receive or you can bow your head and simply be in prayer during this time this time is for everyone so at this point right where you are at home i'm going to ask us to prepare the elements right at home whether you have some bread or some cup some juice some water that can all work as we partake in this meal that god prepares for us So let's go ahead and take a moment and prepare for that. Friends, brothers, sisters, this before us, this is the feast of God for the people of God. And 
today, usually when we're live or in person or in the last outside service, we had an opportunity for there to be servers. But today you're going to serve as a server with the elements you have prepared at home. And uh, together we're going to take and eat of the bread and then take and drink of the cup together in communion, which means common union. So together as one body, united in Jesus Christ, we're going to share of the bread. This bread represents the body of Christ broken for you because of lo he loves you. And the blood of Christ, the cup, represents the blood of Christ shed for you because he loves you. So let's go ahead and take part in this meal together. The body of Christ broken for you because he loves you. Let's take and eat. Together as one family, let's take part in the cup. This is the blood of Christ shed for you because he loves you. Let's take of the cup together. Lord, we praise you and we thank you, O Lord, that you have fed us at your table. We're grateful for your gifts and we are mindful of this eternal sign of communion, of being united as one family in you, Lord. You have called us as members of your family, as brothers and sisters together united in Jesus Christ, Lord. And we offer to you our prayers for all people today. God of compassion, today we remember before you and we place before you the poor and the afflicted the sick and the dying, especially those that have been tormented and impacted by this pandemic that we're all navigating right now. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, we pray for prisoners and all those who feel lonely and isolated in this time. Would you be the one to accompany them and comfort them and give them that true comfort that comes in Christ, Lord? We pray for victims of injustice and all others who suffer this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this eternal sign, this eternal hope that we have in you and that's represented through the Lord's Supper. Lord, we have a living hope that, yes, we access during the Christmas time and is with us 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's the hope of the gospel through Christ, through communion, Lord. Ephesians 1.10 reminds us that it is Jesus Christ that brings unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's our prayer this morning, Lord, that all things would be brought together in Christ. It's in the faithful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. We've now worshipped here at the table, and we'll close out with a couple of with a song of worship.
and then some prayer.